Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. To begin with, Jan has abandoned me for this morning, which means we're in for an indulgent half hour. I'm also talking about an author rather than with an author. The latest works of Clive James came across my desk, Injury Time and The River in the Sky. They are his latest poetry. Another of this morning's divergences, poetry. And to talk about these works, I have someone far more knowledgeable, articulate and erudite than myself. It is Dr James King. So, James, welcome to 3CR. Thanks, David. And I'm definitely... In the not category. Oh, no, I think you're well beyond me in terms of uh, ability to interpret poetry. <laughs> Would you care just to start by reading one of Clive James's poems, please? Well, yeah. I will. Thank you. And, and uh, uh, as many will know, uh, Clive James has uh, had a diagnosis of leukaemia uh, since 2011 and was given a very poor prognosis. Um, but uh, he's been in remission and uh, re- and is mourning the fact that he hasn't died. Uh, if that can't be uh, a funereal sentiment, what can? So the, the title of his, his uh, volume of poems is Injury Time, and this is the, I suppose, signature tune. Injury Time. This is a pretty trick the fates have played on me, to make me think that I might die tomorrow and then grant me extra time. By now I feel that I have overstayed my welcome. Every night I face the climb, which might as well be straight into the sky, the Himalayan slog upstairs to bed, placing my feet so carefully I seem to tread on rolling logs, and there I dream, I come back down next morning, still not dead. The nightly dream can turn out to be true only so long, and one day this notebook will lie untouched to show how long it took silence to do what it was bound to do. Thank you very much. Now, can you just fill us in, perhaps, on a bit of the background about Clive James and your affinity with him? Well, I first heard about Clive James when I was... uh, uh, angry young uh, university student in Melbourne, and he was a angry young uh, university student in Sydney. He what was, he year w- are we talking about? We're talking about fifty-eight, nineteen fifty-eight. He was he's a year older than me, and I'm seventy-eight. Uh, and uh, he was the editor of the students' magazine called Onisoie in Sydney, and I was in the team for Farago at one stage. So. But his early uh, talent, sorry, his talent showed out early. He had an um, absolutely uh, omnivorous appetite for information, particularly of a cultural nature. And uh, uh, we, could leave, we could continue, but I'll leave it there for the moment. But what was the future for people who were so capable in Australia of that era? Well, as you know, uh, it was a very bleak time, really, culturally in Australia. We were very inward-looking, 
and uh, there was a famous uh, diaspora starting with uh, Barry Humphreys, I suppose, and uh, uh, Robert Hughes, Robert Hughes, Jermaine Greer, Greer yeah. and Clive James, and um, uh, Hughes, of course, went to the States, but the rest went to uh, the old Blighty, Mother and these England. Were great Australian voices, they were. But I, I identified with uh, uh, with Clive James through his uh, his unreliable memoirs, first of all, which is so funny that you shouldn't read it on a tram. Uh, it's absolutely hysterical stuff. But boyhood, his boyhood in the outer suburbs of Sydney, and my boyhood in the uh, in the dust centre of Australia, Broken Hill, uh, had many similarities. It was a very simple kind of life and uh, very uncomplicated. Um, we also had uh, his father uh, and my father were both uh, involved in uh, the Pacific Campaign, as they call it, or the Pacific Theatre, what a word that is. Um, and uh, although his father, as most people know, uh, died on his way home to Australia in after a plane crash. After the war had finished. After the war was finished. Yeah. What a terrible yeah. tragedy. But he carries that with him, though, that he sort of, of, a, of a, a father missed in many ways. Yes. And <clears throat> I, I'm no psychologist, but uh, he was brought up by his mother in a very uh, 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 interesting and, and uh, but disciplined way. But amongst other things, they went to the movies together four times a week. And uh, 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 that's, he's had a, uh, quite a prominent career as a film critic as well as uh, a political commentator and a literary uh, uh, editor and so on. It, quite a diverse man of letters in many ways. But it's that sort of memory of his childhood. We've got Return of the Coggera Kid. Here I began and here I reached the end. From here my ashes go back to the sea and take my memories of every friend and love and anything still dear to me down to the darkness out of which the sun will rise again. This splendour never, never less, fated to be when all is said and done for others to recall and curse or bless the way that time runs out but still comes in, the new tide always ready to begin. And it's a recurring theme, this uh, um, obsession might be too strong a word for it, but his um, uh, dying, his, his wish is that his ashes uh, come back to, to uh, Australia. But it's uh, part of that continuity. Even though he's never going to see Australia again because of his diagnosis, he can't travel, he's still going to be returning there in memory. There's a nice uh, um, segue to, to the poem you just read, The Cogra, Return of the Cogra Kid, is Quiet Passenger. When there is no more dying left to do, and I am burned and poured into a jar, then I will leave this land that I came to so long ago, and having come so far, head home to where my life's work was begun. But nothing of that last flight will I see, as I ride through the night into the sun, no stars, no ocean, not the ochre earth, no patterns of dried water nor the light that streams into the city of my birth, the harbour waiting to take down my dust. So why in that case should I choose to go? My day is done, I go because I must. Silence will be my way of saying so. 
He's so clever, isn't it? It's clever, but it's part of... He feels almost as if he's part of this continuity of memory and ideas. And so it fits into also The River in the Sky, which is a most extraordinary epistle because it's an epic poem, uh, whereas Injury Time was a collection of verse and picking up on this theme of death. But it's this continuity. even And he's talking about his death even though he's alive and placing himself in the sort of uh, continuum, that galaxy of ideas that keeps being perpetuated or going on. Yes, he, he, he portrays that uh, metaphor in so many beautiful ways. Um, you're right, uh, The River in the Sky is a personal, uh, is a poetic collection of personal vignettes and reminiscences and you get, the, or I get the feeling that he, he might have written it as much for himself as for anyone else. Uh, it's that's like the a, art of a poet, though, that his voice then still speaks and resonates uh, to others, to you and even to me, but I'm not of his generation. Um, but also then, I mean, there's that humour, even in the Cogger Kid, even in what you've read, and the opening of The River in the Sky, all is not lost, yes. <laughs> despite the quietness. So he's almost mocking, in some ways, his own death. Yes, that's right. The other thing about uh, River in the Sky, River in the Sky um, uh, is the... Uh, I'm not sure what the words are, but uh, I'll find them in a minute. Uh, yeah, Ama Nogawa is the Japanese, Japanese word for the Milky Way. Yes. And it means river in the sky. Yeah. But, he, but he's placed his thoughts, ideas, memories as part of the Milky Way, part of that galaxy in some ways. Yes, and, and almost every one of the little vignettes that uh, uh, he, that form the, the, the poetic memoir have some uh, uh, astronomical or ethereal uh, metaphor or analogy. But there's this connection which seems to be eternal because he talks about there are contemporary references in there, but he's also going back as far as the pharaohs and how they sure. saw their presence. Yes. And so he sees himself as part of that continuum. There's a lovely uh, term he uses when he sees uh, Tutankhamun. He talks about his inlaid eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. But um, the, I was lucky enough uh, a good many years ago to go to uh, Rio de Janeiro and uh, Buenos Aires in particular, I, I meant. Uh, uh, and uh, I can remember walking down to the area called La Boca, uh, which is a beautiful area near the mouth of the River Plate. And um, it's famous for the spontaneity, and it's not contrived, it seems genuine, of the tango dancing in the cafes. And uh, um, You've got a favourite you want to read here. And uh, I was so taken with uh, Clive James's recall uh, of a night he had uh, in Buenos Aires. The tango dancers gathered in the dusk as the night came on, the burning lamps, da-da-da-da. And I won't read it all, but just a little snippet of it. Um, he sees a woman dancing... And he's he absolutely, you know, uh, polaxed by by her beauty of movement and her and, grace, yes, and her grace. And he eventually um, gains the strength to go and ask her, "Will she dance?" 
uh, and she accepts him and, and uh, he tells her uh, that um, he's related to Errol Flynn, I think, and, and that didn't mean much to her. But, <laughs> but uh, this little passage I'd just like to read. Um, uh, uh, she warmed my shoulder with her tilted cheek. The night was warm already, now it burned, as if the way ahead were carved by starlight. A time to remember as I breathed her perfume that the tango began as a parade at court before it was plunged by history into the squalor of the dives and docks. I even dared to steer her through a puente that laid her out as if embracing sleep on a couch of night under the silver stars. But there's something interesting about this tango dancer. There is. As he steers her to uh, her table, he discovers that she's blind. But there's so much here in terms of her experience and her vision of the world, so to speak, her complete um, sort of trust and faith in somebody else to lead her. Yes. And yet they form a partnership there, which is extraordinary. I I even dared to steer her through a puente that laid her out as if embracing sleep on a couch of night under the silver stars. It's, it brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? Well, this is his ability. And there's also a reference uh, to how he writes poetry um, and he associates the writing of poetry with uh, dance. Um, and in um, the back of Injury Time, um, there's some references to some of the poems he's written. But here is one uh, explanation of Declaration of Intent. Back when I could still travel in the dance halls of Buenos Aires, I would study the way the tango masters, some of them a lot older than the hills, would maintain a hesitation step until the accumulated potential energy delivered them into a surge of forward <laughs> movement. The Rallentando hiatus gave the maestro's partner time to prepare for the searching reach of a long backward step. It often occurred to me that the parallel with writing poetry was very close. In a poem, to retard the impetus is often to prepare for power. Right. And so that's, how, in many ways, how he writes his poetry. There's a hesitation and it surges forward. And it's a hard art to practice, to yeah. hide the, the rhyme, but it's what gives the momentum and such like. It's, it's amazing. And despite, perhaps that's not the right word, but let me use it anyway, despite his huge intellect, he, he has the common touch and, and he's quintessentially Australian. Yes. You know, he's lived in, in England since uh, 1968, I think. Um, has had many trips back to Australia, of course. Uh, but uh, he, 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 he remains quintessentially Australian. And there's a lovely little uh, um, reminiscence in, in uh, The River in the Sky that uh, goes like this. On the flight from Singapore straight down to Perth, when Elle Macpherson crossed the aisle to sit beside me, the impact of her beauty was exactly like a mugging from a naiad. Fame has its privileges, and most of these are drawbacks, but now and then you get to breathe the aura of an angel. Occasionally you're dazzled by the rising of the sun, 
And this is where his Australian signature comes in, the rising of the sun in the sulphur crest of the white cockatoo. It's it's common in, in or Australian and comparing beauty to a sulphur-crested cockatoo. Yes. <laughs> it's comic, um, but at the same time you get that sense of awe with a nat- the natural beauty that Elle McPherson must be. But it's that male uh, attitude of being taken by beauty, moved by beauty, and seeing it not just in uh, a woman, but then also in nature. Yes, I think um, people might be thinking it's time for him to go because he's 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 flooding he's flooding us with his volumes of poetry, and uh, he's recently, even more recently, uh, or or about the same time as, as sentenced to life, uh, came out um, a verse commentary on Proust. Now, people say that I think he claims that he learnt French just by reading Proust. Proust and a, and a dictionary, and um, he calls it uh, uh, after the, uh, the famous uh, port in in Paris called uh, uh, the Gate of Lilacs. But even so, he can't help uh, bringing in this uh, uh, funereal sentiment he has about himself. And um, uh, if I could just read the last four lines of uh, of this uh, verse commentary. Um, Uh, And soon all that I love will leave me as I go first into silence, then the fire, and then the harbour water, in which there will be at last no room to breathe, no time to think, no time to think even of you, Marcel. (laughs) So he's... uh... But there's a cascade of imagery in a lot of what he does and it just sort of uh, and and then it reoccurs the images of starlight the sea um, the classical references followed then by uh, you know sort of quite common references I mean just in the opening of the river in the sky I was wondering uh, whether I was ignorant because he talks about um, the intermittent image of a disc that glittered like the facile Vega's wheel still spinning when Camus gave up his life out past the journey's edge. And I'm thinking, I don't know anything about facile Vega. Is this a classical reference that I need to look up because I'm so ignorant? Turns out to be basically the design of um, the wheel, the spokes of a the wheel. wheel. Yes. And I didn't. And so it's it's ordinary, common, contemporary, um, and and yet so very relevant. But then the next moment it's juxtaposed with, with Camus. That's right. <laughs> and it's got shades of the mandala in it as yes. well. There's another um, uh, volume uh, of his poetry that has another nice title, Injury Time, I think, is very clever. Mm. But the previous one, which I think was only about two years before that, is called Sentenced to Life. And uh, uh, there's many criminals would uh, uh, like that kind of verdict. But um, uh, uh, there's one lovely reflective one in which he he um, he, he he refers to a, a Japanese maple tree that his daughter uh, plants in her garden. My daughter's choice, the maple tree is new. Come autumn and its leaves will turn to flame. 
What I must do is live to see that. That will end the game for me. The life continues all the same. Yeah, that note, that life continues all, all the, the same. same. He's almost resentful of, I can understand that too, of uh, uh, his uh, switch being pulled prematurely. Well, it's, it's not necessarily being pulled prematurely. He's sort of had this uh, extension in many ways to his life. And so he's being, um, well, he's, he's simply churning stuff out, but it's such... Great quality, so interesting. I mean, he's nearly eighty, for God's sake. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he—he's—it's all to do with him and his illness. The uh, sentence to life, procedure for disposal, is another one. It may not come to this, but if I should fail to survive this year of feebleness, which irks me so, and may have killed for good whatever gift I had for quick success. For I could talk an hour alone on stage and mostly make it up along the way. But now, when I compose a single page of double-spaced, it takes me half the day. If I, that is, should finally succumb to these infirmities, I'm slow to learn the names of, lest my brain be rendered numb with boredom. Even as I toss and turn, then send my ashes home, where they can fall in their own sweet time, from the harbour wall. <laughs> Here's one. This is very or- a very ordinary thing. I don't know how many people remember things like junket and flummery. <laughs> Intergalactic junket. Junkets my mother made would float in space like flying saucers, which were all the rage at that time. They would settle into place on the kitchen table so a kid my age could listen to them hum and watch them glow before they disappeared without a trace into the chasm of a childish face, a throat whose flattered gullet felt the flow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, is flummery and junket a, a common sort of um, thing to eat today? How many people would recognise oh, that? I don't, I don't think my uh, children, never mind my grandchildren, would even have heard of flummery or junket. And yet it used to be quite common. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, he's had uh, uh, a big scandal in his life, ah. uh, and that's given him tremendous uh, 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 regret. And uh, uh, despite the fact that uh, his wife, uh, Prue Shaw, uh, booted him out of the house uh, uh, <laughs> after... Um, uh, An extended affair, shall we yes, say. Yes, well, I think I didn't see the current affair, but that was uh, nicely well, known. But uh, that's where the bell was rung on him. But um, he's dedicated the last three volumes of his his work, and I'm pretty sure his translation of Dante's Inferno, sorry, uh, uh, the Divine Comedy, the whole thing, um, d- dedicated them to her. But she is also a Dante scholar, isn't she? She is, and... and uh, uh, of course, uh, I think it was a bit uh, presumptuous of him to gazump her by uh, taking on the translation himself. Uh, so there's still rivalry. But there might there, still be perhaps. rivalry there, yeah. But nevertheless, he's very, very uh, uh, close to his two daughters and uh, um, and they've been a uh, uh, strength to him in his illness. Well, they're, they're looking after him, but there's a tension, so to speak, and... That sense of regret that he's expressing in many ways, even though 
he knows how much um, wrong, so to speak, he did and the hurt he's caused. Um, he's trying to, in many ways, reclaim or capture or be honest, at least, about how he feels there. Yes. Well, maybe he'll write a volume called uh, Let He Who Is Without Guilt. Guilt. <laughs> Cast the first stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Mm. Um, but also there's a male voice here that fascinates me. I mean, he talks about sexuality, um, the heat of a girl's palm. I mean, there was the one you read about Elle McPherson, which I had in my notes, actually. Um, but this is on page 46 of The River in the Sky. He's just come from the church fellowship after the social. When I walked her home, she had a name, but she might yet breathe. And she let me put my arm around her waist. Yeah. And, and this sort of... But this is going back to one of his first sexual encounters. But then the sex, in some ways, um, her legs trembled so softly, the first throb of power, the water wheel became a blur, the propeller of a Pratt & Whitney twin wasp radial engine revving up for takeoff from Okinawa after VJ Day for the long flight to Australia. The blur screamed describing sex as yeah. an engine because he has this fascination with with cars as well yeah. he's he, with cars yes yeah, yeah. he's a, a what do you call it a petrol head petrol well. head and he commented on formula one but it's so male and yet it's not necessarily uh, without feeling there that that's what fascinates me as a medical person, there's another aspect of uh, all of this that fascinates me, and that's his this uh, uh, experimental drug uh, that's given him five years uh, when he was given six months to live. And uh, he's written a little note, a little poem in an ode to um, Ibrutinib, and I'll just read the first stanza. The Marvel comic name should tip you off that this new drug is heavy duty stuff. You don't get this one just to cure a cough, a chemo pill and powerful enough to put the kibosh on your CLL, which is chronic lymphocytic leukaemia. It gets in there and gives the bastard hell. <laughs> well, I think it's a bit like uh, you, you sort of uh, appreciate this, but, you know, I'm on perindoporal herbumine, which sort of trips loquaciously <laughs> off the tongue. So medicos have, have got sort of um, a sort of hold on certain phrases that could be quite poetic <laughs> in that regard. James, we're basically at the end of our discussion. It's been a fascinating time. Um, we've been talking about Clive James and two works in particular, Injury Time and The River in the Sky. My guest has been Dr Clive not, I was going to call you Clive James, <laughs> Dr. James King. There's a bit of a, a challenge there to getting out those two James, Dr. James King, uh, who has an, a sort of affinity and uh, uh, identifies with Clive and his time and era. So, James, thank you very much for coming in today. Thanks, David, for inviting me, and I enjoyed the uh, exchange.